0: Welcome to the Lecture Fan Podcast, you guys. It's April 2021. This is the Free Speech Podcast podcast. Before we get started here, thank you guys all for listening. I'm a daily politics twitch streamer. I do this podcast. This this podcast is exclusive content. You're not going to find it anywhere else. Um, if you want to join my twitch stream, go to twitch.tv slash lecture fan, twitch.tv slash lctr fan. I got a YouTube channel. I'm Lecture Fan on YouTube. I'm Lecture Fan on Twitter. I'm LectureFan on Instagram. And I'm lecture fan everywhere. My website is lecturefan.live. Uh, you can sign up for my email newsletter there. And so thank you guys all for listening and let's get going. This is going to be a podcast exclusively focused on free speech, um, free thought, cancel culture, section 230 social media government regulations i think that free speech is basically one of the most important issues in our society right now i think we're living in a time period where free speech is at its basically the 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 biggest danger that we've ever had in losing free speech is now free speech has never been under attack more than it is today in the united states of america it's an incredibly important issue hugely important issue in america right now and it's a it's a dangerous dangerous point in time and so i think this podcast which is going to go over you know why do we have free speech why is free speech important what does what did the founders think about free speech why did they think that way what does free speech look like around the world what does free speech look like throughout history what are the arguments against free speech what why do leftists and democrats why do they not agree with free speech why do they not like free speech and then we'll get into you know, Section 230, how, how this applies to social media companies, proposals for changing Section 230, Supreme Court precedents and how they might apply it to social media companies. And it's going to end with some proposals for me on on how we can fix the issue in a political and a legal sense. But I think, you know, this is also important in terms of a cultural and, and societal value sense. And that's, I think, one of the most important points, really, is that free speech is not just a narrow legal principle that says the federal government can't prohibit you from speaking. Now, I recognize that that's what the Supreme Court you know, has held. The First Amendment means that's what the First Amendment says. I mean, the First Amendment literally says Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the pe- people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for redress of grievance. So the U.S. Constitution First Amendment clearly applies only to Congress, aka the federal government. Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech. So Congress can't do anything to abridge our freedom of speech. And so that that was written that way because the founding fathers knew that the, the federal government would be... The most powerful entity, the most powerful institution, therefore, the most likely to violate people's free speech rights. The founders looked look back on human history and the founders knew that wow, you know, the instances throughout history where, where people's free speech rights were violated, it was always done by governments, it was always done by dictators, it was done by monarchs, it was done by kings and queens, it was done by emperors and empires. So it made sense to make a constitutional amendment that says this federal government cannot abridge the free speech rights. But the reason that they did it as applying to the federal government is because they could have never envisioned corporations that are more powerful than the government. Corporations that have more control and, and power and influence over the public square and the public debate of political ideas than the government itself. The founding, founding Fathers thought, hey, if the, if the federal government can't prohibit people from speaking, if the federal government can't prohibit people from printing out a political pamphlet and handing it out, you know, then then that will protect people's freedom of speech. And that's a great thing. The First Amendment is awesome. But if you actually look at why we have that and why we have freedom of speech and that protection from the federal government, it is much, much bigger than that. It is a value. It's a societal value. It's a cultural value. The idea that free and open discussion of ideas, free thought, free speech, being able to say whatever you want, even if it's bad and, and disagreeable and false, is something that the founders thought was very important and is very important as a, as a cultural and a societal value. You know, Which is why you have you know some of the quotes from like Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin said, quote, if all printers were determined not to print anything till they were sure it would offend nobody, there would be very little printed. And so clearly, clearly Benjamin Franklin in that quote talking about how free speech is an important part of society and culture. So I've got a couple of quotes here from founders and John Stuart Mill, Supreme Court justices, labor leaders, all sorts of different people. They all talk about the importance of free speech as a large concept not just this narrow legal principle what bugs me the most about these leftists and these democrats is they think because the constitution says that free speech is only protected from the government well that that means that you know Outside of outside of that context, it's not important. It's not important to have a, a, a cultural value of free and open debate. It doesn't matter if we have private censorship. It doesn't matter if if a private company burns books or a private library burns books. That's totally fine. If a if, uh, if private company wants to burn books because they don't like what's in the books, that's totally fine. Nothing wrong with that. Doesn't, the Constitution doesn't apply. Well, the point is, is that that's wrong, even if the First Amendment doesn't specifically apply to it. George Washington said, quote, if men are to be precluded from offering their sentiments on a matter which may involve the most serious and alarming consequences that can invite the consideration of mankind, reason is of no use to us. The freedom of speech may be taken away, and dumb and silent we may be led like sheep to the slaughter. Doesn't talk about the government the government preventing you from offering your sentiments on a matter. It's just period. If you're if you're prevented from offering your thoughts on a matter, that's terrible the the founding fathers knew that it wasn't it wasn't about who or what prevented you from offering your ideas the fact of the matter is if you are prevented from offering your ideas period by anything or anybody that's bad and that's going to lead to horrible horrible consequences it bugs me so much the way these leftists they reduce free speech to the most narrow legal principle they can think of they take free speech and they say it's this super narrow narrow legal principle that only applies to to congress and they totally forget the underlying picture which is that as a society and as a culture, this is a imp- very important value to have. And there and we'll go into the reasons why. But freedom of speech is the most important part of American culture, American life, American law. It, it is the First Amendment. A lot of people consider it to be the most important freedom. A lot of people consider it to be the foundational aspect of any free society and any basic notion of a, of a republic. But the, the, the crazy thing is, is it used to be sacred. It used to be people agreed with it. And in modern day America, leftists and Democrats do not support free speech. And I will prove it as we go through here. They don't admit that. They don't admit that they disagree with free speech, but uh, they do. And and you can, the arguments that they make are, are clear that they do. And that's not unheard of. And frankly, the arguments are appealing in, in some, you know, you know, surface level sense. And if you actually look around the world today, There is very little freedom of speech around the world. Of course, dictatorships don't have freedom of speech. Islamic theocracies don't have freedom of speech. Even democracies in Europe don't have freedom of speech. Freedom of speech is a very rare thing, both today in our world today and throughout human history. Freedom of speech is a difficult concept to defend and and argue for because it it involves, you have to argue um, in favor of horrible speech speech that is wrong speech that is hateful speech you disagree with and so it's very difficult to make the argument that we should we should allow somebody to say something that's terrible it's very easy to make the argument against free speech. And some of the way Democrats and leftists argue against free speech is they say, you know, speech, speech can be harmful to people. You know, speech can lead to violence. Speech is violence even. They say, speech can lead to violence and oppression. Certain speech can spread hatred of people. Uh, certain speech has these negative, harmful consequences to other people giving safe harbor to harmful ideas is bad. Free speech does not protect false information or hateful racist uh, speech. These are just horrible, negative things. Why would anybody defend anybody's right to say it? Uh, We should be against these people's right to say these things. And the response is, we're not defend, you don't defend the substance of what somebody says, but their right to say it. I mean, do you guys remember? It used to be that Democrats, it used to be the Democrats and leftists actually agreed with this idea that I don't agree with everything you say, but I'll, I'll fight for your right to say it. Democrats genuinely used to believe that even if even if they don't agree with what you're saying, they'll fight for your right to say it. That's no longer a thing. Leftists, Democrats, global, global leftists, they no longer agree with this idea that I don't I don't agree with what you're saying but i will defend your right to say it. they don't they no longer defend your right to say it they think your right to say it is to be taken away because it, it's harmful i think people have forgotten why we have free speech and why why it's important to defend even unpopular false hateful speech not not the speech itself but their right to say it uh, we, we've we totally forgotten about that which has led to our culture today where we've got cancel culture just, you know this leftist cancel culture rearing its ugly head. Um, and the the fact is, is that with more and more people forgetting the basics of why we have free speech, you know, that can go away. We're seeing it go away. We're seeing our, our free speech rights be limited, you know, on a, on a daily basis and not necessarily by the government, but by powerful corporate monopolies that control the de facto public square, which is even more problematic than the government. These, I mean, these private companies—Twitter, Facebook, Google—they can prevent the the U.S. president from getting his message out to the people, from speaking in what is the de facto public square. There's no question, and the Supreme Court has held as much in uh, Packingham versus North Carolina that these online social media platforms—they are the public square. They're the de facto public square. That's where Americans engage in their political discussions and political debates. It's no longer, you know, outside in the, you know, physical town square. These are the town squares. And so, you know, we're seeing uh, a huge attack on, on free speech. And so I think it's really important to go through and, and remember why we have these things. Why do we have free speech? Because these arguments uh, against it, you know, that's, you know, speech can be harmful, it can lead to harm, blah, 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 blah. That's, that's true. And that's why, when there is wrong speech, when there is hateful speech, when there's racist speech, when there's misinformation speech, you know, the, the, you shouldn't ban it, but you should actually respond and, and prove why it's wrong or say why it's bad or say why it's wrong. So let's just go quick through some of the basics of why we have uh, free speech it's the lack of infallibility. People might be wrong. Society might be wrong. Facebook and Twitter and Google might be wrong. If you actually look at history, there's a lot of examples of where the consensus was wrong or society was wrong. Humans aren't perfect, government's not perfect, university professors aren't perfect, uh, studies aren't perfect, big corporations aren't perfect, scientists and doctors are not perfect, Facebook, Google, Twitter are not perfect. It's possible that people could be wrong. The consensus is not always right. There are a lot of historical examples of this. And so when you realize that, you realize, okay, so it's possible that we might be wrong about you know what the truth is or what the consensus is or this, that, or the other thing. And so then when you start banning things just because... You think it's wrong, that can be very, very damaging and harmful to society if it later turns out that the consensus was wrong, correct opinions, which were minority opinions at the time, or went against the consensus at the time. If those were right, that obviously is harmful. And and because uh, if you ban speech, uh, then that's going to prevent other people from hearing those arguments and ideas. And if those arguments and ideas end up to be right and the people were never able to hear it, that's a horrible, horrible thing. We ought to have a sincere, sincere concern to get to the truth of anything, okay? And if you actually want to get to the truth, then you should actually encourage dissenting opinions, uncomfortable speech, uh, challenges to the consensus, everything like that. I mean, you can't, you have to have, and John Stuart Mills and a lot of other, experts have written about how the best way to get to the truth of an issue is to hear opposing viewpoints. Our entire our entire justice system is based on this. We have an adversarial system of justice where you have a plaintiff versus a defendant, or you have the state versus a criminal defendant in criminal cases, and you have lawyers on each side. And then the lawyers representing their clients go into court, and each side of the, each lawyer on each side makes a case, and makes arguments and presents evidence and then they argue against each other and then the judge or the jury makes a decision so the best the best way to get to the truth is to have opposing viewpoints you know the best way to get to the truth is to not you know not to you know get a panel of people that you like and have them decide what the truth is and then ban any other viewpoint that's not how you get to the truth the way you get to the truth is to let each side make their arguments and then make the decision this is how people ought to consume news media as well. Get get your news media from multiple different sources, hear both sides, and then make your opinion up. That's how our justice system works. That's how we've always known how to get to the truth. That's one of the reasons we have free speech. You want free speech so that each side can make their point and make their arguments and present their evidence, and then we can decide what's true. One of the other reasons free speech is good is because of the possibility of correction. Um, if, if, If something is wrong, if the consensus is wrong, or if what Facebook, Google, and Twitter think is wrong is actually right, you want to encourage views that go against the consensus to be aired and stated so that you can respond to them, correct them, and argue against them. And so Facebook, Google, and Twitter ought to be allowing opinions that they disagree with or even facts that are stated that are wrong to be stated so that other people can respond and explain no that fact is wrong that's a that's incorrect here's the other data or your reasoning is faulty here's here's why it's a bad thing and so that's another reason to have free speech is so you can correct the, the wrong, incorrect, hateful statements of other people. The worst thing is, is when there's some hateful speech or misinformation and you ban it and you censor it and you burn the book, now that drives it underground and it actually makes people more interested in it. And it prevents the person who believes that thing or wrote that thing or said that thing from hearing responses from other people that could change his mind. And this is, I think this is really, really telling about leftists. One of the thing leftists think that if you if you allow a Nazi to be on social media, if you allow a racist to be on social media, then they'll get huge and they'll have this huge following and everybody will just become Nazis and racists. So you so therefore we have to prevent that person from speaking and we have to ban them and censor them and purge them from everything because if you let a racist speak everybody everybody will just they're, they're gonna have a huge following and everybody's gonna be racist again because so we have to shut down these viewpoints i think that says a lot more about the leftist democrats who think that than it does about anything else i personally think and i think this is the truth is that if you actually let a racist speak then other people will respond to him or her and explain why it's wrong or the vast majority of people will say this is incorrect. And then that person is more likely to change his mind and no longer be a racist. After hearing all of these responses, and if that say a racist is allowed to speak and he's gonna be able to hear all the other people saying, no, that's not true, that's bad, that's incorrect. Then he's gonna say, okay, well, I had my chance to speak. I said something, almost everybody disagreed with it and explained why, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Whereas if you ban him and censor him, then he's going to take his ideas and say, well, the reason they banned me and censored me is because they can't handle the truth. They can't handle the truth. And so then it goes underground, get even worse and get more just dug into their positions. And then they go and they get together with everybody else. And it's just, it's a terrible situation. You actually encourage the views that you're actually trying to ban and purge. When you ban and purge it as opposed to letting it be said and then responding you know letting people respond to it with facts and data and reasoning about why it's wrong when you ban and purge these ideas whether it's whether it's misinformation or hate or whatever it is when you when you ban it it actually drives it underground to where it can fester and grow and survive because it's not going to be corrected it won't be corrected by society or other people so that they think they're right because they were banned they think they were banned because social media big tech can't can't handle the truth and they they get a sense of entitlement and doing this drives people underground it's like it's it's a it's a bad idea it the, the whole po- policy backfires on itself censoring backfires it just makes the views that you're trying to censor last longer and grow more extreme What John Stuart Mill talks about is he says, If if views are not challenged vigorously, they will be held in the manner of a prejudice with little comprehensions or feeling of its rational grounds. Meaning of the doctrine will be lost, deprived of its vital effect, the dogma becoming a mere formal profession, inefficacious for good, preventing the growth of any real and heartfelt conviction from reason. And so what he's talking about is like, you know, what these big tech companies and Democrats want to do is they don't want any of their views to be challenged you know that's really what this is about is is whatever the leftist democrats big tech whatever they say is true whatever they say is right whatever they say is moral and ethical you're not allowed to challenge it And so what John Stuart Mill is saying is if if views are not challenged vigorously, they will be held in the manner of a prejudice with little comprehension or feeling of its rational grounds. And so people then will just start believing those things, not because they've heard both sides and they chose to believe it. No, they will just believe those things as a matter of a, a prejudice. They don't even know why. The meaning of the doctrine will be lost, deprived of its vital effect, the dogma becoming a mere formal profession, inefficacious for good, preventing the growth of any real and heartfelt conviction from reason. And so people will believe things, but they won't really believe it that deeply because they won't have heard the other side and actually reasoned and thought about it and come to that conclusion. You know, so it's, it's if you actually want people to believe your beliefs, then you're better off allowing people to contest it and fight against it. John Stuart Mill also said, if one makes arguments and knows of his side of the case, but if the other side is not allowed to make an argument and one is unable to refute the reasons on the opposite side, he has no grounds for preferring either opinion. So basically saying, you know, look, if you say your opinion on something or say your facts, but then you ban and prevent and censor the other side from offering any dispute of it, then you really have no grounds to even prefer your opinion because you haven't even heard the other side or allowed the other side to speak. So again, it just becomes dogma and, and prejudice. And notice how with everything that I'm saying here about free speech, it has nothing to do with the government prohibiting you. These are things about why free speech is good generally speaking, in a society, in a a culture. None of this has to do with just the government violations of free speech. No, this is why free speech as a whole is good. When you actually think about the reasons why free speech is good, well, those reasons, they apply equally whether the censorship, banning, and purging comes from the government or comes from private actors. It doesn't matter, it's the same result. The same result comes because when you get rid of free speech, You get rid of the benefits of free speech it doesn't matter who who got rid of the benefit whether it was government or private the fact of the matter is you just got rid of the benefit of free speech you just purged and banned and censored somebody doesn't matter where that's coming from that's why free speech is not just about what the government can or cannot do it's a big issue involving private actors and society Benjamin Franklin said, quote, freedom of speech is a principal pillar of a free government. When this support is taken away, the constitution of a free society is dissolved. Uh, Benjamin Franklin also said, if all printers were determined not to print anything till they were sure it would offend nobody, there would be very little printed. (laughs) U.S. Supreme Court Justice Benjamin Cardozo said, of that freedom of thought and speech, one may say that it is the matrix, the indispensable condition of nearly every other form of freedom samuel gompers a u.s labor leader somebody that democrats and leftists should look up to samuel gompers said quote the freedom of speech and the freedom of the press have not been granted to the people in order that they may say the things which please and which are based upon accepted thought but the right to say the things which displease the right to say things which may convey the new and yet unexpected thoughts the right to say things even though they they do a wrong that's the fundamental aspect of free speech is that it's there to protect unpopular speech it's there to protect incorrect speech because popular speech consents the consensus speech that doesn't need to be protected oliver wendell holmes jr another u.s supreme court justice said if there's any principle of the constitution that more imperatively calls for attachment than any other it is the principle of free thought not free thought for those who agreed with us but freedom for the thought that we hate and this is where the left has gone so far away from from what this means We're, we're supposed to protect the thoughts and the speech that we disagree with it's 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 easy to protect freedom of thought and freedom of speech for those that we agree with the the important part of freedom of speech and the only way you get all the benefits that we've talked about with free speech is if you let those who you hate you disagree with what they're saying let them speak and counter it and then thomas jefferson said quote reason and free inquiry are the only effectual agents against error." And that's, again, one of the main reasons you have freedom of speech is because it prevents us from erring. You have to have free speech to prevent mistakes and errors. Benjamin Franklin said, In those wretched countries where a man cannot call his tongue his own, he can scarce call anything his own. Whoever would overthrow the liberty of a nation must begin by subduing the freeness of speech, a thing terrible to public traders. So I think that's really important because... Again, all of these quotes talk about free speech as a big, big deal that has nothing to do with the federal government. It has to do with society and culture. And so free speech is a thing terrible to public traders, according to Benjamin Franklin, because that means people can criticize the government. And that's one of the reasons you ha- we have free speech is to criticize the government and criticize what the government is doing. And that's why governments throughout human history and today the first thing that they do when they ban things is they ban criticizing the government. And that's, you know, that's a lot of, frankly, what you see going on today. And so we could keep, I could keep going on about that, but I kind of wanted to move into uh, some of the other, some of of what's going on today with with the restrictions on free speech. The reason the constitution applies to the government is because the government was the most powerful entity, the most likely to take away free speech the point was not some narrow restriction on the government but discourage private restrictions on speech the point of the point of having free speech in our founding documents was to encourage a society and culture that had free and open discussion the only protection they could think of was to make make this apply to government they could never have imagined private corporations like we have today which control the public square and you know are more powerful than the government when it comes to regulating speech they couldn't have imagined that if they would they may have they may have done things a little bit differently and in fact we will get into some supreme court cases that kind of go to issue here in a little bit in a few minutes here but the point is is that we need to protect our free speech for even greater reasons than it needs to be protected from violation of government so again i think it's it's amazing that free speech exists in the united states or has existed up until i guess recently because defending free speech is a hard thing to do Um, it can be popular Uh, it's very rare throughout human history you have to defend the right of someone to say indefensible horrible horrible things and of course democrats and leftists they never get that distinction they don't understand the distinction between defending someone's right to say something and defending what they said. I will defend somebody's right to say something, even though I think what they said is horrible. I think what they said is terrible. And Democrats will then attack you and say, oh my gosh, I can't believe you said that that person should be allowed on social media. They, they said X, Y, Z, that was horrible, horrible. I can't believe you support that X, Y, Z thing is horrible, horrible. And it's like, dude, no, I don't support the X, Y, Z horrible thing. I defend their right to say it. And that's a huge distinction, but it's hard to make and people don't get it. And, you know, it's easy, easy, easy to say, well, XYZ is horrible. It should be banned and censored because it has bad consequences. You know, that has a surface level sort of appeal to it. But what we have today is hard core cancel culture. Cancel culture, I think, is proof that the leftists and the Democrats do not support free speech. What cancel culture is, and and a lot of people don't understand this, cancel culture involves preventing somebody from en- engaging in speech and speaking and canceling people, which means banning them from social media. Cancel culture is not somebody choosing to not go to a business. Cancel culture is not somebody choosing to no longer watch Major League Baseball because uh, they've gone hardcore political, hardcore left. No, cancel culture is when somebody is banned from social media. Social media is the public square. Uh, cancel culture is purging a person from society, purging a human being from being able to speak in society. Uh, just like you know, uh, criticizing Colin Kaepernick for taking a knee or saying that NFL should have standards of behavior for employees. Uh, that includes standing for the flag. That's not cancel culture. Colin Kaepernick still is on social media. Uh, he even has a bigger voice now. No conservatives, no Republicans ever said that Colin Kaepernick should be prohibited from speaking. We never said that he should be removed from the public square. We never said that his accounts should be deleted. Cancel culture is very specific to what leftists and Democrats want to do, which is ban people from the public square, purge them and purge everything they said from the public square, burn their books. Again, if, if somebody has written a bunch of tweets and then, then you come in and you ban that account and you delete all the tweets, it's the same thing as burning a book. It's digital book burning. It's removing political speech and viewpoints because you don't like it. That's what cancel culture is. This is so annoying to see these leftists and Democrats say, oh, conservatives do cancel culture. Conservatives do. No, conservatives don't do cancel culture. No conservatives have ever said that leftists or Democrats should be banned and purged and censored in the de facto public square that is social media. That's what cancel culture is. And conservatives don't partake in it. Modern-day cancel culture is a leftist ideology, leftist thing, and it's it's, it's private restrictions on free speech. That's what it is. And if you look back through the founding fathers and John Stuart Mill and all these other guys, they talk about how private restrictions on free speech can even be more important than government restrictions in terms of pushing back against them because it's it, again it has the same outcome it has the act- absolutely same effect we live in a day today where the constitution doesn't necessarily apply to private actors and that's not necessarily true though and we'll talk about some specifics here and then um we'll talk about section 230 first amendment social media companies because what we have today are these social media companies facebook twitter google youtube all of it which are the it's that's where people engage in their political speech and these companies are banning and censoring and purging and book burning you're not allowed to make political viewpoints you're not even allowed to say certain opinions on these big social media tech platforms we all know that lots of conservatives have been banned from social media and lots of racists and nazis and everybody everything else is banned from social media and so some people have been banned from social media that have actually said horrible horrible things other people have been been banned from social media not you know not because they said something horrible but because the left just didn't like what they said and so there's both both things have happened and and some people have been banned where you know i would not defend the substance of what they said, but I would defend their, their right to say it. And then other people have been banned where I wouldn't defend the substance or I would. Uh, either way, they should still have the right to say it. And there's been so much of this stuff going on and you're not allowed to say certain things because Democrats and big tech companies will say, you know, that's that's bigoted, that's hateful, that's racist, that's misinformation, you know, that's likely to lead to violence and all these different reasonings to it. Now, there are actual limits on free speech, which we can get to, which I think would still be legitimate if a social media company did it. So, for example, it's like actual incitement of, of violence, like, you know, in, that's likely to cause, you know, imminent bodily, serious bodily harm, like literally like calling for people to be murdered, setting up, you know, saying something, encouraging other people to murder people. You know, there there are other limits and uh, libel and slander, I guess is for an, another example. So there is actual speech that's, you can ban, the government can ban whether like certain types of obscenity, uh, libel and slander, encouraging violence. There are certain like limits uh, that the Supreme Court has held that the government can enact upon. But that's that's a whole that's actually frankly a whole different debate. There's a whole different debate about whether you should we whether you know, you should be a free speech absolutist or not. I don't want to get into that right now. We'll just take take for a second that Um, It has been held that certain restrictions on free speech are okay. So, okay, there was the other one. Disclosing troop movements, criminal conspiracies, inciting violence, slander, libel, child pornography, all of these other things. So let's just assume for a second that what I'm going to talk about next uh, doesn't necessarily apply to those things that would be legitimately not protected free speech. You know, national security things like like troop movements. You're not allowed to speak publicly about what the American troops are doing in a war. You're not allowed to uh, engage in criminal conspiracies even if you're just talking to somebody. You're not allowed to do sl- libel and slander. You're not allowed to p- do child pornography. You're not allowed to do actual incitement to violence. So setting aside that though, what the social media companies are doing is way, 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 way more than just that. They're actually... They're actually banning speech and banning people who have not engaged in any of those types of activities. For example, Donald Trump saying that the election was stolen. That's not unprotected speech under the First Amendment. Other people saying maybe racist things. That's not unprotected speech under the first amendment for example saying that the election was stolen is not libel or slander it's not child pornography it's not national security instruments it's not inciting violence it's not a criminal conspiracy now they tried to claim that it was an incitement to violence but that was just not true as a as a factual matter and as a legal matter but here's the issue okay these are the public platforms and they should be regulated and restricted as monopolistic companies as common carriers, as the de facto public square. And then everybody say, oh, that's free speech, and you're violating their free speech rights by doing this. And that's just not, not true. And one of my favorite, favorite Supreme Court cases that goes into this is Marsh versus Alabama. It's a 1946 Supreme Court case that had to do with a company town and we all know back in the you know 20s and 30s and 40s there were company towns and the company town held or owned the entire town including the streets including the street corners including the sidewalks the company town owned the entire town and so one of the company towns in in Marshville Alabama they tried to bar uh, free speech on its sidewalks and they said you're not allowed to you're not allowed to hand out pamphlets on the sidewalks and they said look the first amendment it only it only applies to government not private companies This is the exact argument that leftists make with social media companies today. Never never mind the fact that leftists and Democrats hate private corporations. Never mind the fact that they want to regulate everything. Democrats believe in regulating everything and they hate corporations and they want want to restrict corporations and control corporations and regulate corporations and they hate corporations and blah, 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 blah. They don't think corporations should have any rights. They think the government should be able to tell every corporation everything it can and cannot do. But, but... When it comes to a private corporation censoring a conservative, then all of a sudden, oh, it's a private company. It's a private company. You can't do that. It's a private company. It's so disingenuous. It's just like these Democrats when they complain about the budget deficit. 100% disingenuous. They don't give a shit about private companies' rights to do what they do or do not want to do. They do it because they agree with abridging free speech. They do it because they don't believe in free speech. They argue for this because it's it's the one argument that they can make to justify censorship, banning and purging and book burning. That's why they make that argument. They don't give a shit about actual private corporations. But even to that extent, it's a bad argument. It was a 5-3 decision authored by uh, Hugo Black. And it said, when a private sector owns and controls the de facto public square, America's constitutional protections still apply. The Supreme Court opinion stated, quote, to act as good citizens, they must be informed. In order to enable them to be properly informed, their information must be uncensored. When we balance the constitutional rights of owners of property against those of the people to enjoy freedom of the press and religion, as we must hear, we remain mindful of the fact that the latter occupy a preferential position. In other words, the Supreme Court has already considered this argument that leftists and Democrats are making, and they rejected it. Now, I've heard a lot of Democrats and leftists say, oh, well, you know, if, you, if you're if you going to regulate Facebook, Google, and YouTube, and Twitter, and everything else, and, and force them to have certain speech on their platform, you're forcing them to engage in speech, and that's a violation of their First Amendment rights. Again, that argument's been made and rejected. It literally says that there are rights of private property owners. Private property owners do have rights. But that has to be balanced against those of the people who enjoy freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom of religion. And the Supreme Court has said, when you balance those two out, freedom of speech is the preferential position. That's the most important thing. So again, Marsh versus Alabama has already considered this argument that private actors who control the public square can ban anybody from operating or ban ban people from speaking and stuff. And that's just false. It's wrong. And the Supreme Court got it right in Marsh v. Alabama. It's the the these big tech companies are the exact same thing as the company towns of the 20s, 30s, and 40s. They control the public square. And so that's just, I think that's such an important case because it blows that argument out of the water. And I agree with the case. It's like, look, if you want to control the public square, if you want to own the public square, then you have to respect people's free speech rights. Period, which means not banning and purging people from your f- public square unless that unless what they're doing is not protected speech, which includes libel, slander, inciting violence, uh, disclosing national security information, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But that's not what's going on. They're doing it. They're banning people just because they don't like what they say. Well. Here's the real thing. So we you would need you would need a case that says big tech and these social media companies are the de facto public square to really make the argument that you have your free speech rights your free speech rights apply when you're on big tech. And we have that case. It's called Packingham versus North Carolina. Packingham versus North Carolina found that the social media companies have become the company town or the public square of our own day because the what North Carolina tried to do is block registered sex offenders from using social media. North Carolina passed a law that says sex offenders cannot use social media. Justice Kennedy wrote in the 2017 case, Packingham v. North Carolina, quote, a fundamental principle of the First Amendment is that all persons have access to places where they can speak and listen. And then after reflection, speak and listen once more. A basic rule, for example, is that a street or a park is a quintessential forum for the exercise of First Amendment rights. And then Justice Kennedy went on to say the most important place for free speech is it is cyberspace quote unquote it is cyberspace the vast democratic forums of the internet in general and social media in particular so we now have the supreme court saying that these big tech companies are they de facto public square and everybody knows it is you don't have to be a genius or have a supreme court case to find it so now we have supreme court case march v alabama saying that private actors that control the public square cannot abridge a free free speech rights and then secondly you have saying that big tech are the de facto public square our free speech rights need to to be respected on social media on on these big tech companies and nobody's forcing them to do anything they they do not have to uh you know we're not forcing them to engage in their own free speech they're making the choice to be a quote-unquote platform The one thing that's so annoying about these big tech companies too is they got to be where they are because they promised to be a platform they promised free and open debate and now that they've become the natural monopolies and they are a natural monopoly let's be real these are monopolies the reason they're a natural monopoly is because uh under social media everybody has to use the social media platform that everybody else is using because these social media platforms are useless unless everybody's on them. And so once a social media platform it gets the critical mass, you can't really compete with it. Now, I know that there, you know, you could say Facebook and Twitter compete with each other, but they really don't, they're two different things. You could say that Parler and Gab compete with Twitter. They don't, they're like there's, uh, there's no critical mass on any of these other platforms. And the big tech companies are even attacking the other platforms like what we saw what happened with Parler. Um, so there's an all-out attack on free speech by big tech. There's no question about that. And so they, they're a natural monopoly because people will only join social media platforms that have everybody on them. And then once you get to that point, nearly impossible uh, to compete with it. Maybe, maybe someday Parler can you know, become the number one social media company. But until that happens, I'll stand by my statement that these are essentially monopolies. And here's the thing, if you're going to be a monopolistic corporation that controls the public square and the public debate, then you should be required to operate as what we call common carriers or um, other types of monopolies. These other common carriers, other monopolies, they have to people in a non-discriminatory manner with reasonable basis and fairly. And so it's crazy that these Democrats and they left this, they would never suggest, they would never suggest that You know, the railroads or the airlines or um, FedEx or UPS or any of these companies that are monopolistic and or just common carriers or the operator of a shipping port or anything like that. They would never suggest that these companies could engage in discrimination and ban people from using them based on their political viewpoint. For example, these Democrats and leftists, they want to regulate everything. They want every company to be regulated by the government. And I think the regulation, you know, that common carriers uh, should have to treat people reasonably and fairly and in a non-discriminatory manner. I think that's fine. I don't think that's government overreach. That's a common law issue where at the common law, these common carriers couldn't treat you unfairly or unreasonably or discriminatorily without getting sued. And so this is not too much to ask, to have a basic reasonable standard uh, for how these tech companies operate with people, especially since we're dealing with one of the most important rights, our first amendment right, free speech rights. The idea that the 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 common carrier, the monopoly, where, where our country exercises its free speech rights should not be held to a standard that every other common carrier is or monopoly is where they have to treat everybody with fair, reasonable, non-discriminatory standards is preposterous. We're dealing with one of the most fundamental rights of a free people. And these Democrats and leftists are saying that they should, they should have zero regulations on them. They should not have to treat people fairly. They should not have to treat people reasonably. They should not have to treat people non-discriminatorily. This is, this is craziness. It really is craziness. You know, and so instead of, instead of having the regulations that we have on, on other monopolies and other common carriers where they have to treat people fairly reasonably and non-discriminatory, now we have Section 230, which gives carte blanche liability protections to all these companies to just treat people in the most unfair, most unreasonable, most discriminatory fashion ever. It's really mind boggling that these leftist Democrats, they're defending the world's most powerful corporations. These are the most powerful corporations the world has ever seen, ever. And so now you've got leftist Democrats defending the world's most powerful organizations of all time in terms of them being able to treat people unfairly, unreasonably, and discriminating against them. Do you realize how bad faith that is? These Democrats, these Democrats never defend big corporations. They don't like powerful corporations. They think powerful corporations should be regulated to all hell and back on every issue, uh, and and should be sued constantly and should be held to hardcore standards of non-discrimination. And everything, but. When it comes to the world's most powerful corporations and big tech and free speech rights, then all of a sudden then all of a sudden nope, they deserve protections and they have rights and they're a private company and you can't force them to host speech that they don't like about and it's like wow. That's so bad faith. You're wanting the most powerful corporations to be able to violate people's rights, essentially. You're wanting the most powerful corporations to be able to treat people unfairly and unreasonably. You know, uh, we have we have statutes and laws in this country called unfair and deceptive trade practices and there are there are statutes that apply to businesses that say you have to treat consumers fairly you cannot engage in unfair and deceptive trade practices against consumers and and Democrats love the unfair trade practices acts that apply in every state pretty much and at the federal level as well Democrats love the unfair trade practices act because The government telling private businesses that they can't treat people unfairly. But when it comes to big tech and conservatives, now all of a sudden Democrats want them to have the right to treat people unfairly. It's ridiculous. It's totally bad faith. They don't think that big tech should be able to uh, treat people unfairly and discriminatorily and unreasonably because they think private corporations should be free to do whatever they want or they respect the free speech rights of the corporations? No, they do it because they disagree with free speech. They think they think speech that is wrong and speech that is dangerous and speech that is bad and speech that is hateful should be purged and banned and we should burn books. That's why they do it. They don't do it because they actually care about the, you know, the largest powerful most powerful corporations the world has ever seen. Uh, having actual rights. It's the most preposterous thing. It's not asking much. Conservatives and Republicans are not asking much to simply say, these big tech companies, they control the public square. They control our our political speech. They ought to have to treat people fairly, reasonably, and non-discriminatorily. That applies to every other monopoly, every other corporation, every other business, every other utility, every other common carrier. They all have that basic, basic thing. And again, you know, then they'll say, oh, well, you're a conservative. How can you support government regulation on this issue? And I go back to what Justice Hugo Black said, um, which is that, yeah, you do have to balance. It's a balancing act. You have to balance private uh, property rights and everything else. But the, the point is, is that free speech rights are more important in this instance on these issues it's not taking away much from these corporations to say that they have to treat people reasonably fairly and non-discriminatorily. And so look, I'm not always in favor of government regulation, but when I balance balance government regulation of big tech against the American people's free speech, I'm sorry, but I'm gonna fall down on the side of the free speech of the American people, period. Okay, so I I just want to, um, I want to talk about Section 230 a little bit here, because there's a lot of, you know, misinformation out there about Section 230. There's a lot of bad takes on Section 230, and so there's a really good article that I'm going to kind of base this discussion off of um, by Philip Hamburger uh, in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, Philip Hamburger is a professor at Columbia Law School. And president of the new Civil Liberties Alliance, Philip Hamburger, is a law professor at one of the top law schools in the country. He wrote an article in the Wall Street Journal called The Constitution Can Crack Section 230, and it's by Philip Hamburger. It was, it was run January 29th 2020 one and so what he does is he actually goes through section 230 and and talks about what it means and how it could be interpreted and and things like that now i'll at the end here i'll just give a couple of my ideas about what we can do to fix this you know how how can we change section 230 how can we uh Change maybe put in other laws things like that, but um, let's just I just kind of want to talk about what this guy's take is on 230. And I he actually he actually has quotes of what Section 230 says, which I will read. Mo- most people never actually read what Section 230 actually says. What does Section 230 says? Say it's from the 1996 Communications Decency Act. Section 230 c2 provides quote No provider or user of an interactor Interactive computer service shall be held liable on account of any action voluntarily taken in good faith to restrict access to or availability of material that the provider or user considers to be obscene, lewd, lascivious, filthy, excessively violent, harassing, or otherwise objectionable, whether or not such material is constitutional. And that's the provision that big tech says, we can do whatever we want. We can do whatever we want. Because what it says is, no provider of an interactive computer service shall be held liable on account of any action they take in good faith to restrict access to or availability of material. And then it talks about lewd, lascivious, obscene, filthy, et cetera, et cetera. This was originally intended to allow tech companies to delete child pornography. That's the purpose of this. It was it was to allow pr- providers to delete child pornography without, you know, being sued for any reason and so you know typically they can't do, do unfair trade practices they can't treat people they can't discriminate against people they can't um, do all the, they can't you know violate contracts in bad faith there's all these different standards but this says no look if you're going to be take any any computer provider can take down lewd lascivious content and they're not going to be held liable the issue then becomes one is where does where does congress get the authority to do this and so they say that it comes from the commerce clause which of course it comes from the commerce clause they always say oh it's interstate commerce if it if it impacts interstate commerce we can we can deal with it but what it really is is this is congressionally emboldened censorship and this is this is congress authorizing private to engage in censorship uh and not be subject to any other rules or regulations or laws and so the, what this columbia law professor talks about is actually how the constitution broadest protection for free expression lay in the limited power of the federal government and so james wilson uh, reassured americans in 1787 that quote a power similar to that which has been granted for the regulation of commerce was not granted to regulate literary publications and thus the proposed system possesses no influence whatever upon the press and so they're basically saying look that was the argument that we didn't even need a bill of rights we don't need bill of rights to say that Congress can't abridge freedom of speech because Congress has enumerated powers and none of those enumerated powers says it has the power to abridge freedom of speech so, why would you need a right that says Congress cannot abridge freedom of speech when we already have uh, the the Constitution says that only thing Congress can do is regulate interstate commerce, and that does not include literary publications, and so uh, this 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 constitutional system has no impact on speech. Well, that obviously uh, changed because now the courts say. You know, the commerce power uh, includes the ability to regulate speech and uh, up to and including Section 230. And so the point is, now that we have a statute like Section 230, which regulates speech and private companies' ability to restrict speech, that's rested upon a power that the government has under interstate commerce. Which means that, look, if you guys are doing this to try to control interstate commerce, we should read the statute in a way that recognizes the constitutional dangers here of using something like interstate commerce to start regulating speech. Which goes to how how uh, how you should read any ambiguities or how you should interpret the statute, and, and then another part is uh, another constitutional aspect of this is the First Amendment, and so what the private companies say and Democrats say is oh we're private you know we can do whatever we want which that's not true. But to the extent Section 230 says that they can do whatever they want, I think you have to pay very, very close attention to what actually Section 230 says, and then we ought to think about amending it, too. And so what what Section 230 says, it actually protects these companies from restricting various material, whether or not such material is constitutionally protected. And so Congress is explicitly immunizing companies from liability for speech restrictions that would be unconstitutional if lawmakers themselves oppose them. So Congress is saying, yeah, you companies, you can ban content and you can censor content that would be constitutionally protected. It may be constitutionally protected speech, you're allowed to ban it, you're allowed to censor it where this law professor brings up a really really good point is that one of them one of them is objectionable material section 230 says they can they can censor objectionable material which is so vague it has no meaning and there's a doctrine called void for vagueness and if, if a statute is too vague then it's unconstitutional and so what congress has done is authorized big tech to be able to censor objectionable material, and it would be directly unconstitutional if Congress did it, but Congress is working through private companies to abridge the freedom of speech, which is where the the problem is. And here's why. Here's the example that this law professor brings up. Southern sheriff, they used to assure KKK that they would face no repercussions for suppressing the speech of civil rights marchers. So these... These, uh, these sheriffs in the South, they would go up to the Klansmen and go up to the KKK and say, "Hey, if you guys if you guys suppress the the speech of civil rights marchers, then we won't go after you. No, we won't go after you." And what the professor says is, under the Constitution, government cannot immunize powerful private parties in the hope that they will voluntarily carry out unconstitutional policy. And so those the, that the court held that to be unconstitutional because the government can't basically protect private actors to do what is otherwise unconstitutional and and the example is the southern sheriffs telling the KKK that hey go suppress these civil rights marchers we'll protect you we won't we won't charge you another point that the professor makes is that what the what section 230 applies for is or applies to is material and it says the companies can restrict material it, it protects them for any action voluntarily taken in good faith to restrict access to material. It doesn't say people or it doesn't say websites. So when when these when these big tech companies are banning people, they're actually not actually removing material. They're banning people. So it doesn't even section 230 doesn't even apply. Section of 230 applies when they remove material. It doesn't mean when they remove entire persons, they purge purging out people, which is another really good statutory argument. The really the, the best statutory argument that I think he makes here, which I've thought of as well, is that the the actions have to be taken in good faith. And so these private tech companies are protected from liability under Section 230 if they remove material in good faith. And what that means is it can't be disproportionate. Um, it can't be done with an improper purpose. It can't be done in a bad faith manner. And so, you know, banning people and purging people and censoring people for simply saying something they disagree with politically, first of all, that's not done in good faith. And that's not banning material. Oh, and then this was awesome. The professor talks about how um, if if you really want large, common carrier-like, big tech companies who control the public forum to go beyond good faith actions against material, pause to consider a little history, if only a reality check. Even the Inquisition gave heretics formal opportunities to recant. And even the Star Chamber required its private censors to bar offensive material, not authors. And so he literally brings up the, the, the Spanish Inquisition and the Star Chamber as saying that, dude, even the Inquisition and the Star Chamber were not as absurd and draconian as how big tech is acting. They, they even They let people recant and they only barred material, not people. Um, Which really is quite amazing when you think about how these big tech companies are are basically just going so far beyond what has ever been considered acceptable. He makes another point that Section 230 only applies to content, not viewpoints. And that the distinction between content and viewpoint is crucial in free speech law. Government can't discriminate against disfavored viewpoints even when regulating unprotected speech such as fighting words, um, it's, and so that's why this, the, uh, the statute focuses on content. Okay, so anyway, there's a lot of stuff to talk about with 230, uh, just the statute itself, but the big issue is what do we do, right? What do we do going forward? You know, I, I think that we ought to we ought to have federal laws and state laws that specifically say big tech must treat people fairly non-discriminatorily and they can't uh, and they must respect people's free speech rights in other words you know they can't ban you for engaging in speech that's protected by the constitution Um, and so one of the one of the other proposal is to have like a first amendment zone on social media and that's done by ks bruce a real clear politics writer um, he's, he's proposed like a first amendment zone where speech would be treated as free speech um, and so then if you go on to social media you could either you could either look at the censored social media platform and you know that you would consider safe and then there would be another zone where you could go or another portion of the app or whatever that you could go that would be a free speech zone that's fine that's great i don't necessarily think you need that i would just say first of all let's let's enforce the section 230 as it stands right now let's enforce marsh versus alabama and packingham versus north carolina let's recognize that this is the public square that people's free speech rights apply that these companies are monopolies that common law monopoly rules like treating people fairly and reasonably and without discrimination they apply to this this and that Um, that Section 230 only protects them for good faith operations that are proportional, that allow people to make changes that that only apply to content and material, not the people themselves, and, and take the existing law that we have and just apply it so that we don't have people being banned and purged from social media just for saying something that leftists and Democrats don't like. We need to respect free speech for all the reasons I talked about at the beginning. Now, I think we could go even further. We could we could have a new federal statute or a new state law, new federal law or new state law or both that specifically says big tech companies who are uh, the de facto public square, they cannot engage in activity against people by banning and purging and censoring them unless the speech that they're attacking is not protected by the First Amendment. So, and if, If a big tech company does that, then the person who is banned or purged or censored improperly, unfairly, in a discriminatory way, in a disproportionate manner, for engaging in speech that's protected speech by the First Amendment, if the government had done it, if that happens, then that person can sue the tech company and they can get triple damages, they can get punitive damages, they can get attorney's fees, and they can get injunctive relief against these big tech companies. And if you were to pass that law, then anybody, anybody that is unfairly or unreasonably or discriminatorily banned, censored and purged by these Democrat, big, massive corporations leftists run, then they can sue them and they can get their attorney's fees from them and they can get triple damages and they can get punitive damages. And I think that would go a very long way towards preventing this problem and making it so people are not banned and censored and purged all the time and it doesn't violate anybody's free speech rights because you know what if you're going to be the you have a choice do you want to be the de facto public square or not nobody's forcing anybody to be the a platform you know these are platform they, they claim that they're platforms and then they act as publishers we didn't even get into that that's a huge other discussion is a platform versus publishers but they're trying to act as platforms and claim that they're platforms, but then they don't want to treat people fairly. And it's like, look, you're choosing, you chose to become this platform. You chose your choice to become a platform where you're the public square, where you, where this is where people engage in free speech. If you want to do that, that's great. You have to follow simple rules that apply to everybody. You can't be unfair. You can't be unreasonable. You can't discriminate. You can't violate people's free speech rights. You know, that's not that's not forcing them to to carry any content that they disagree with. That's forcing them to abide by reasonable rules and regulations that everybody else has to.